I think that's pretty cool to just hear that these yeah, guys yeah. like, oh, so it's like basically, and if you don't play during the season, you don't expect to like come back to the you know finals and playoffs and just be you know great. And it's like okay, next season then. So it was really good to hear that he could come back and be really strong and you know fit, and that the, you know flyweight training could help in that sense and you know provide a really good stimulus during that time. Yeah. If I can I'll manage first. to get more energy into the concentric phase that I could do with my primary muscles, let's say let's do the squat again. Right, it's a good example. But if I use my arms on the way up. I will add more energy into the flyweight. So, and this doesn't really work like with weights because people are like, yeah, but if I get help, I mean, if a coach is helping me pulling mm -hmm. or if you use your arms, you're actually doing less with your legs, like, right? Because if I have 100 kilos on my back and you help me, I'm not lifting 100 kilos. Uh, but if a flywheel, if I'm pushing max, I'm pushing max. And then if you help me, it's more than max. We, we together put more energy into the flywheel. So in the top position, I will now have much more energy in the flywheel that I would be able to just do myself with my squat. So maybe you're pulling me on the way up, or maybe I'm using my arms, mm. but there's more energy. If you have been watching the podcast for a while now, you'll have seen me wear these primitive athletic tops. They are now available and I'm really excited because I work out in them a lot. I tend to work out quite hard, but I also like to be comfortable. So that's why when I was picking out the materials for this top, I went with a pure cotton. If you would like to get yourself a top and support the channel, they are available on my website, primitiveathletics.com. Athletics with an X. Hello and welcome back to PA Chalk Up. My name is Amani and today we have Frederick. How are you doing, Frederick? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good. If you just give us a little introduction on who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm uh, the CEO, one of the co-founders of Eccentric uh, that develops uh, flywheel training equipment like K-Box, K-Pulley. And now we also have some signal exercise devices, So, but flywheel training. Uh, so that is what I do today. Uh, so I oversee basically all parts of the company, but I'll probably focus, I'm probably a little bit more into maybe sales and R&D mainly uh, but uh, yeah across across the business you know so um, that's what I what I do today yeah so how did the uh, eccentric come about yeah so it's a bit it's, it's a little bit intertwined with my own personal story but you know back then uh, I, I I played ice hockey as I was young and I uh, then later on became a coach when I grew up realized I wasn't really good and I didn't really uh, enjoy playing in my team so to speak so i tried coaching in the same club and i actually realized that what that was really funny and really fulfilling and um but then academically after school when i graduated with time to go to university i had this like natural science interest and i mm -hmm. i went to engineering and computers were pretty hot uh, this is late 90s computers were pretty like still very young right there weren't like tons of education so you basically had to go to like engineering to study computer science uh, so I went there and dropped out pretty quickly after a year or so and decided to like focus on ice hockey and I worked a little bit, but then, uh, that passion grew and I realized like, this is what I want to do. So I ended up in university of health and sports science here in Stockholm, GIH and on the coaching program, uh, which is quite tough to get into. You apply through your sport, et cetera, and you need to have a certain level as an athlete or as a coach to get in. Right. And, um, 
yeah, so I did that, and and for, that's two years. So not really an SNC education, but uh, I think I would say a little bit wider. It's, it's very wide when it comes to, in in terms of sports, uh, but also anatomy, biomechanics, whatever, whatnot, testing, you know, scientific methods, whatever. So like and, a sports um, science type degree. Yeah, exactly. So not. Uh, Tons. I mean, we had practical stuff, but that was more, more us doing sports, mm. sort of like, uh, but also ah, difficult to go, yeah, complicated to go into, but not not really what I imagine a SNC, you know, more SNC focused education would be. So, uh, but anyway, I got more interested because at that point when I was still coaching, I, to me, ice hockey had been the game ice hockey. I was, I, you know, technical coach uh, and I was teaching youth, so youth mm. teams, so that was my focus. So there's a lot of development and the focus is obviously like, like skate, pass, pass the puck, learn the game, play the game, strategy, whatever, like tactics. So, uh, and you don't have a big SNC part in youth sports in that sense. So it's sort of very general skills that we did. Uh, and at that point, time I was also sort of leveled up to coach elite juniors at basically at the same time as I went to the school and I learned more about physiology and biomechanics I got really interested in physiology so after that education I went to you know go deeper into physiology I went to uh, Karolinska uh, Institute and studied physiology for uh, for a year uh, with the goal to go into research and I was pitched to join this, like, you should talk to this group that they focus on hypertrophy and strength. And those are the kind of guys you would probably like them uh, because being in ice hockey, momentum-based sports, you know, fairly, you know, physical, like, yeah, it's a lot about, you know, mass and strength, Guys, whatever. Yeah. So, so they're like, yeah, you're probably going to like these guys and the research. And they were focusing on training in space. So keep it, basically keeping muscle mass, but it's, it's the same thing, right? You want to optimize for building muscle mass and find effective methods. The only difference was like they applied it in like microgravity, like space. So, but they, right. they work with flywheel. So they use flywheel for that, which was kind of interesting to me because of these other like features that I realized like, yeah, this is, I have a tons of other, you know, positive features that we can use on earth. So, uh, then was a long like sort of detour where I actually realized uh, I need to you know go deeper into academy before I mm. go into research. I started with medical school, ended up you know doing a degree there, and then I actually found working with patients kind of fun. So I, I like did all of that, my all the internships, whatever. And I actually became a specialist MD. So it's a pretty long twelve year detour, but in, during that time. Um, uh, long story short, uh, we worked a little bit with these uh, researchers, but they were really focused on their single exercise devices and space research. And we wanted more going to product development because mm -hmm. we felt like, yeah, the concept is cool, but it doesn't really, this is not really what our athletes are doing. They're doing pulls, you know, rows, squats, whatever. They're, they're not doing like, you know, these fixed machines, things that they were doing in their lab. And you couldn't really you know, buy a flywheel device at that time. They were handmade by uh, a mechanic that they, the researchers basically knew. So a couple of years later, me and a hockey colleague of mine, Morton, we sort of founded Eccentric and said like, okay, let's uh, let's see if we can do this on a more industrial. And then it was more focused as a sort of product development focus mm -hmm. uh, with our sort of the in the, the 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 starting interest was to like the science and the performance and the coaching but then we sort of 
went into the like product development because we need to create this tool because it doesn't exist, right? Uh, or at least not uh, with the properties that we wanted. So that's how Accenture was started. That, then we are at 2011. I'm still working as a doctor. Morten is working as Swedish Olympic Committee, you know, training, testing, and education of, of coaches. So this is a you know uh, something we do on the side. Uh, and uh, we're four, five co-founders. Wow. And um, yeah, uh, two of them, three of them actually dropped out pretty quickly. So, but me and Morten are still in it, uh, and I work full time. And Morten is uh, focusing on his day job, so he's just on the board. Uh, mm. uh, but um, so that's how it started. And a couple of years in, uh, we started like realizing the hobby grew and spent my you know free time, weekends, whatever, like travel, doing lectures, maybe stuff like this. And it was pretty tough to manage with also a yeah. pretty demanding full-time job, family, etc. So basically juggling like two full-time jobs. And uh, so I had opportunities to switch over and lead the medical business and focus on eccentric. Uh, so, it's which made sense. Off. We started, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, and then it like to, yeah, it kept on going well from there, and we employed people, and so now we're around like thirty people in Stockholm nice. at our HQ. So we have all departments at HQ: R&D, marketing, sales, finance, production, uh, and then we have uh, uh, an office in the US as well uh, nice. with the uh, sales staff. Um, yeah. So, so can you explain how the flywheel actually works and what are the benefits of it? Yeah. So, um, uh, it can be slightly different variations, but I'll talk about how our devices are because they're fairly similar, you know, mm-hmm. within, uh, between the products, you can, you can do it a little bit differently, but in general, like you need a, a flywheel that you need to accelerate. So usually that is on some type of shaft. Uh, and then you can have a cord or a belt or something that you sort of wind up around the shaft. Uh, so, uh, basically like you would, uh, be, you know, turning on your, like a lawn, lawn, starting oh, your lawn yeah. mover or something like pulling and you, something is spinning. Right. Uh, so in, in the same sense, so it's basically like a Joey, right? Because when you're, uh, applying force to that belt, we use belts. So you're gonna and it's wound around the shaft, it starts rotating. So you want to start rotating the flywheel. So you basically put your, your force becomes like rotational energy. And exactly. See if we can get a video. Yeah, exactly. So you're not lifting against the weight. I mean, with the weights that, you know, yeah, I mean, we have other properties as well. We have rubber bands, we have hydraulics, but I mean, when I compare now and say traditional, traditional means, I mean, like traditional weights. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so most stuff we do is gravity dependent and the load is fixed and then we apply force to it. In, in this case, so flywheels are different because they basically want to resist more if you try to accelerate them more. And this is like Newton's second law. So to change like the speed or I think it's the second law. Yeah, uh, but, but every uh, action is an opposite and equal. Yeah, exactly. Action. But you need to apply a force if you want to change direction or brake or accelerate. And with flywheels, it's, it's kind of special because it actually, if you pull, if you go gently, it's not resisting that much. So mm. I usually compare it to people that haven't tried it, like a little bit like walking in water because the water doesn't do anything if you stand still and then you fast, you try to move. 
and at some point it's almost like you're you're running in like almost like a it's almost not almost like a solid object if mm -hmm. you go out to fairly deep water and try to run it's almost like you're hitting a wall um and uh yeah and, and flywheel is sort of working the same way um and that have a lot of benefits uh so in, we're working with energy so we we're you know this rotational energy and makes so the, the flywheel also you can have is have a sort of a memory right because the the k-box that we are saw when you pull it up if you do a high pull if you go max the flywheel mm -hmm. will remember that right because you put more rotational energy into the flywheel than you would if you had gone gentle and and flywheel never forgets so it's going to pull you down and you will have to absorb that same amount of energy and that's very different from a weight uh, if you if you rip uh, a deadlift off the floor the bar and the weights wouldn't know right they will still be the same load mm -hmm. on the way down you don't get a heavier eccentric from ripping it off the floor and uh, so and flywheel is different in that sense and so the benefits are quite many and uh, so with this like energy uh, and also like this variable resistance, like yeah, if you go harder, mm -hmm. it sort of sort of uh, works more against you. Yeah. Uh, the benefit is that we are we're getting closer to like a max uh, tension all across the range of motion, and a lot of people usually you can feel that it's super clear if you do for example a leg extension where you feel that you have the load all the way through it's like a long acceleration phase basically versus with weights you have that initial sort of right. acceleration phase and then you're basically just pushing through uh, which is quite common with a, uh, a lot of gravity loaded uh, you know exercises if you don't load it up really close to max max of course i think you said um the flywheel is really good to get a sense of the eccentric part of, I know it's in, in the name, but the eccentric part of the lift, because you're not only fighting the gravity, but the gravity is kind of pulling you down at the same time. So it's like kind of having to catch it at the right moment or lower yourself in the, in the right amount of speed to sort of catch and then keep going. Yeah, exactly. And you, you can't really skip out on the eccentrics because then you would basically end up in that, you know, hole mm -hmm. where the dry belt goes down, right? So you need to absorb it. So you can't really skip out. So in that sense, it, it yeah, it makes you do the eccentric part that we know, also know is really important for building strength and mass. If you take that away, uh, you can compensate. I mean, you can double the amount of concentric work, but you will still basically not get any effect. So combined concentric and eccentrics are really important to build strength and mass which is you know key thing that we're doing in snc to mm -hmm. you know build up our athletes uh so the variable resistance uh all through the range of motion but also between reps right so i can go 100 from rep one to ten uh, and i would basically go max every rep obviously i will fatigue so i won't be able to sort of you know push or you know accelerate as hard maybe in rep nine and ten because I'm, I'm starting to get really fatigued but it will be max input from me like the nervous system i'll mm -hmm. still try to go max so i will in that case get sort of a drop set with the maximal repetitions but in a very more like faster dynamic way that i would be able to do with weights because i need to shift weights uh, back and you know uh or drop drop the load um uh, and uh, so between the rep, but also in the rep. So I, I don't have any sticking points really, because for example, in a squat with the sticking point, you know, usually around right above oh, like a, yeah. a parallel. Uh, yeah, you, 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 
you're able to push less so the flywheel will resist a little bit less so you, you don't really feel that sticking point you just feel the load depending on how you accelerate and you if you try to go max all the way through you will feel sort of max load all the way through yeah so it's mm. so you'll continue yeah so i would say so it's fairly like for me training you know one person training myself they have this uh no sticking points and also like you know do reps but also like in a team setting it's because you basically set an inertia mm -hmm. uh, to sort of a, like today we're training fairly heavy and slow because we want to focus on max strength. And then it doesn't really matter if you just got 200, 250, right? We're both going at maybe 90% trying to get out like four reps or five reps at this, you know, low that we were prescribed. Uh, but we don't really need to change weights, you know, between us because we work sort of within flywheel work more in zones. So team settings, group settings, uh, and also, you know, switching between exercises, you don't have to, mm -hmm. so it's a little bit faster and the transitions are faster. Um, yeah. And then of course, energy based. So, and that's opens up, like I said, it has a memory so you can use that energy. So a lot of people I see, uh, I mean, please don't just do a regular squat on the <laughs> K box and post it to say like, oh, eccentric overload because I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I see that tons like, so really? you don't get eccentric. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I see it once in a while and, but it, it's, it, it's a quite common misconception that people think like, oh, I'm on a flywheel. It gives me eccentric overload. Yeah. It's a great tool to get overload, but you don't, you just, it doesn't get, you don't, you don't get overload like out of uh, nowhere. Mm. Because the energy you put in at the concentric phase is the energy you absorb in the eccentric phase. So there's always one-to-one -one. you can't really sort of change that. That's just a physical, like, because if you don't absorb it, you will end up being pulled down, you know, yep. until you stop. Um, so, but you need to apply a few, if you want to call it tricks, or, I mean, we call it different like applications, um, but there's no magic overload coming in. So you need to apply. So there's a quite, you know, there's a quite a few methods that we use in our courses. What methods do you use? Yeah, exactly. So basically on general level, you can work with either time constraint, what we call it. I mean, uh, so you have to excuse us, but we, we basically had to invent the, the naming of all these basically ourselves, because when we started in 2011, people were like still eccentric overload was something you could find a few studies on, mm. but they were weights and, you know, big machines or people spotters ha helping, but people weren't really doing eccentric overload because it was so complicated to do in the gym, but people could see like, oh, there's a paper, what happens, but nobody's doing it. So, but we actually started doing it and, and, you know, now you could do it. So we had to like figure out names for all of this. So this is our own naming. Uh, and, and to some, ex to some extent, the research catched up and they do more, mm -hmm. you know, studies. So they, so now we can see sometimes a little bit of a clash, uh, you know, with our naming and so, uh, for example, we talk about eccentric overload. That's what we've been talking. And now you can see like accentuated eccentrics, for example, in research, it's a so more common term that they use that we never, we, we don't use it. Mm -hmm. uh, usually we talk about eccentric overload anyway, but that's the same thing, but you can use a time constraint and an energy constraint we call it. So basically time constraint would be like, uh, if I push all the way through in the concentric phase, like a hundred percent or, you know. Yeah, let's say 100% just to make it easy. Uh, and let's say that, you know, concentric phase is one second. 
And then if I just let it pull me down without not absorbing on the way down, uh, and then like, let's hit it just before my, in the squat, like just before my sticking point. So the last third of the motion. Mm. So I'm basically absorbing everything in maybe, you know, 0.5 of a second or 0.4. I will have to apply 0.5 seconds. I will have to, because I have half the time to generate as much energy. So I need to double my power output. So I focus on that part of the range. I work less in the upper part of the range. So basically zero eccentric overload, but I sort of focus it on the part where I want, want to sort of get my overload. So time constraint creates usually like a focus. So part of the range of motion. So that's not usually what, where I think people should start, but all studies that you will see on eccentric overload, basically, I think maybe there's one that hasn't, but basically all, when you see flywheel overload, it's they only use one type of overload. And that is basically, they, they drop down a little bit in the eccentric phase. So they like, they mm. just follow through with the first third and then they absorb, absorb for two thirds to get about like 30% overload, but in a part of, uh, part of the range. And that's right. usually that two, not the first, third which is kind of funny because a lot of these studies also look into like sprint and jump you know performance improvements and then they sort of taken away the eccentric load in that part where you really would like to be strong yeah. if you want to do sprint and jumping so it makes zero sense but you know but you would see that like you check the method section if, if it says eccentric overload on a flywheel i can bet you you know 99 times of 100 they just skipped the first third and then, you know, sort of break harder at the bottom. And yeah. especially when they, you know, do it with performance metrics, it, it very rarely makes sense. But then say like, oh, we don't see flywheel doesn't really improve sprint performance. No, because you trained like, you trained like a, you know, power lifter or a Olympic weightlifter for the catch phase down deep. So, yeah, I would be surprised if you got a lot of results. But anyway, yeah, that that's makes me a ranting, lot of sense. But... That does make a lot of sense. I previously told you about my experience with the flywheel. And when I was getting taught, I was getting taught to catch at the bottom and just like literally just let it just essentially yeah. just drop down and catch it. And then mm. you go again, as opposed to yeah. holding that load. And I think I started changing it up when I started following you on Instagram and then I saw that you were actually controlling the weight down and then exploring back up, controlling the weight down and exploring back up. That makes yeah, a lot exactly. of sense. Or if I want to do for sprinting and jumping, I would say like, yeah, but stop as soon as you can after the turning point, like go, go deep, accelerate, you know, put a lot of energy into the flywheel and then just hit the brakes as soon as you start bending your knees. Hit the brains, like use your end range power. You're super strong up there. Absorb maybe in the first like 15, 20 degrees in a super shallow, like not, not even a quarter squat, right? And then you just push back with your quarter squat just to get a little bit of motion back into the flywheel because you, you, you stopped it, right? And then you sort of do your little quarter squat, get a little bit action, you know, into the flywheel, let that energy pull you down to the starting position down deep. And then you go again. So it would be like one long, long con concentric, short eccentric, bounce back, you know, start deep. And then, you know, a lot of energy in, you know, and then you would train your like end range or like, if you want to focus on the end range power, but, uh, yeah, so that's, and, and you would, you would find zero studies on that type. And that's what a lot of our users are doing because mm. they train a lot of 
you know, field-based sports, jumping, sprinting, and they're not working in that very deep, like knee angles. Um, so at least for their sport specific part of like the, you know, maybe coming close to the competition phases and they start working really on power, they're, they're probably doing much more like that. Mm. That's like sort of uncharted territory. But uh, yeah, so I, I, that's something we discuss a lot in our courses. I mean, our master course is usually like two days. And uh, yeah, so we dig into the research and and you really need to go into the method section. Mm. But that is, a, uh, as a rule of thumb, they basically, and, and, and I think it's actually historical reasons because the first research, the space guys, they were just interested in see like, can we get an overload? So that this was like super early. So they started back in, Let's say I I hooked up with them in around year two thousand something, and right. they maybe start publish their first paper in like like ninety seven ninety eight or something. So they were still super early. Flywheel was like unknown, and they were basically looking at is can we use this to you know build strength mm. at all? Right? So they were still at these super basic things like EMG checking like do we get the same muscle Plus activity, activity yeah. if we do flywheel versus like so very far from application and they tracked like the forces. So it's like, oh, we see fairly good. We see really high muscle activation. We see, you know, good force output. So this could probably be a good strength training tool. So that's where we're there at. And now today, 20 years later, we are much more into the application. So if you see studies now, it could be like all oh, handball players uh, or soccer players in season protocols or PAP mm. or whatever, it's much more like, yeah, because it develops. But the, the fun thing is, when people still do overload, they so go back to like, you know, and copy what people done before. And those guys started with that. Don't desell for the first third and then you desell. So that was what that is what everybody's mm. doing now, even if it doesn't make sense. So that's kind of funny. But um, so I try to talk about it. So hopefully some researchers and younger guys like C or like SNCs and researchers maybe talk and do like develop projects together and see like, yeah, but this makes sense. So this is what we actually do in practice. Mm. So that's something you can put in your study or, you know, so yeah, hopefully it's getting better. Yeah. Um, so this is something that I kind of wanted to get into was what applications have you seen being done on sort of the sport and on the, the eccentric that you've built? Yeah, sure. I just realized I just ans answered half of your question because I talked about time constraints. So maybe I wanna, then, yeah, yeah, I just want to, so we don't drop that. I mean, people might get annoyed. So the other ways that like the energy sort of, con we call it constraint, but it's not really constraint. But anyway, if I can manage to get more energy into the concentric phase that I could do with my primary muscles, let's say, let's do the squat again, right? This is a good example. But if I use my arms on the way up, I will add more energy into the flywheel. So, and this doesn't really work like with weights because people are like, yeah, but if I get help, I mean, if a coach is helping mm -hmm. me pulling or if you use your arms, you're actually doing less with your legs, like, right? Because if I have a hundred kilos on my back and you help me, I'm not lifting a hundred kilos. Uh, but if a flywheel, if I'm pushing max, I'm pushing max. And then if you help me, it's more than max. We, we together put more energy into the flywheel. So in the top position, I will now have much more energy in the flywheel that I would be able to just do myself with my squat. So maybe you're pulling me on the way up, or maybe I'm using mm -hmm. my arms, but there's more energy there. And now on the way down, I can absorb that myself with my squat. 
or maybe even switch motion patterns. So quite popular one for the hamstrings are doing like a deadlift on the way up and then they do an RDL on the way down uh, because mm-hmm. usually the quads a little bit more on the way up, more go down deep, they pull, generate as much energy as possible, like sort of try to lock the knees as much as possible or like just uh, a, a little bit of flexion and then try to absorb with the posterior chain. That would overload them because you're using a stronger pattern, uh, you know, than the RDL on the way up, just to get that uh, RDL uh, mm. overload, so so uh, so to speak. So that that is what you can play around with, and the energy overload generally gets uh, like uh, it's probably best for uh, because you can overload the whole face with the time constraints we mm-hmm. picked apart, and this. So I would probably do like start with the one to one. What we call is the sort of one-to-one is what we, when we say that, we mean basically what you're doing with your weights. Like you have a load up, you have a load down. So fairly like even, uh, you push all the way through, you absorb all the way through. So you work mm-hmm. through a whole through the range of motion. You could be 100%, 70%, you know, that's one-to-one, fairly close to weights. And then when you do overload, probably start with a general overload to start overloading the eccentric phase in general, maybe adding arms, adding a spotter or something, or, or different mo- mo- uh, movement patterns to overload that eccentric mo- uh, movement pattern. And then like third step, but like a little bit more specific, I would probably go into the, like, okay, let's ne- now focus on the sticking point or like mm. focus on the upper range or let's focus left to right. Like if we have a lot of shifts, cutting, whatever. So maybe we want to do squat up and then lateral, you know, absorbing on, you know, one leg more or whatever. So, or, you know, alpine skiing or, you know, different, depends yeah, yeah, yeah. on your sport. So that's probably how I would build it up. One-to-one general overload and then. Like asymmetric uh, uh, type yeah. sports. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, so that's just the, yeah the general methods to, you know, get overload, uh, that doesn't come, you know, just by itself. Yeah. How, how do you implement these into your own training? I know you're very big into powerlifting and you do quite a lot of competitions. How do you sort yeah. of phase them out for yourself? Yeah. I mean, there, there are some really good things and I, 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 I'm actually having a sort of logistical issues, which is kind of funny because the whole idea for me to sort of one of the things when we one of the you know I mean, we had problems in sport when we as young coaches that uh, when we found flyway we was like oh here's the solution mm. you know um and one of these was the logisticals because it's easy it's like since you don't have that weight uh it's easy you can bring and you can basically have a gym whatever you want and uh in the hockey teams that we so the gym was basically across you know across the city right so we had we couldn't you know do gym when we wanted uh if we had ice practice maybe we couldn't do it with the gym we have to do it on a separate day or travel or like the you know so and so today i have a little bit of logistical issues because i love to train at my club with my friends in my team and we don't have flywheel there and i flywheel in my gym at the office so then i have to train by myself but i don't I don't have any spotters or any friends around so it's a little bit like uh, logisticals but there are some really good applications uh, I, I use it uh, for peaking mm. to hit that, you know, so easy to hit uh, and get, get a good amount of volume on my sticking point without having to carry all that weight around on my back. Because I can go, I can even go, I can even go fairly sub max and just, just hit that point where I know 
if I just fill my squat, my regular barbell squat, I see like, okay, here is, I know where I'm struggling. I can try to hit that point. I film it and see like, okay, good. Mm. I hit, hit that spot with the flywheel and I can feel it like after one, two sessions, I can feel how that sticking point is moving a little bit. So, so I'm just hitting that spot. It's really good for back sets, could save a ton of time. So my sessions usually take, you may know, basically half the time if I do it in our office. Uh, wow. Probably, probably, probably because I had no one to talk to as well, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, but also I, I save a lot of time. I do a lot of warm up on the K box. I hit my working sets and then I sometimes switch over to K box again to do my back offsets, which I can't do in my regular uh, gym also saves tons of time. So, I mean, so, and saving time takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. uh, powerlifting is sort of, I mean, we don't train that much is, I mean, there are other sports I think are. You know, but the, the 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 nature of the sports requires you know you know significant focus, and you need to reset between the sets. So it takes uh, and it's a decent amount of sets and reps you you're doing usually. So and weights on and off, whatever. So it takes a lot of time. So saving time and peaking, uh, it's been great around like you you have always had like small like injuries, whatever mm -hmm. like your shoulders acting up, you know, I mean, it ruins your squat, ruins your bench. Uh, you know, you get a, you know, gluteal problems. I had a little bit problems with my thighs. I had like acute back pain a couple of times. And then like, you can't really get under a bar. I mean, mm. you can hardly get up from the chair. And I had these like acute back pains uh, issues where I can't, I can't even squat like 70 kilos under a bar, but I can still hit the K box like, like 90, 95%, um, because I had the harness, so, mm. and it unloads the spine and it's a much softer. I don't have these sticking points where I fall, suddenly like tweak something, whatever, like I push this gentle through. It's like work. Yeah. You know I mean, like working yeah, yeah. in work again. Right. So I can push myself a little bit more. If it feels good, I can push. So usually I, well, I have these periods of back pain, uh, and like I said, can hardly walk. I go to the gym. I do a little bit of you know slow reps, and I add inertia and you know add intensity, and then I hammer out a really good session. And then afterwards, I feel much better. And so, it really helped me. So I really have, I don't have had any despite having periods with back pain, uh, like the last couple of years. I, I, I don't think I had to sort of skip squatting for more than a couple of days, wow. basically like over the years and that those that time also adds up so yeah the thing one of the biggest things that we've sort of spoke about on this podcast is making your athletes available and that means like trying to keep them as healthy as possible and just keeping them at energy levels that they can continue to play the sport as much as they can and just talking about sort of having your back pain and you're still able to go in still be able to put in that effort what kind of applications have you seen in that sort of sense in like the the rehabilitation process or the prehab yeah i mean um uh yeah i mean yes for example like ice hockey handball i guess rugby the same a lot of like fingers i mean you you know if you Shoulders. if you yes if you, yeah, shoulder, but if you land on your hand, if you, if you get a, like a stick over your hand or whatever, it's, maybe it's not even broken, right? but it's like you can't hold on to a bar mm -hmm. for maybe a week or two, like, and then putting something on your back that's heavy or benching, whatever, like, uh, yeah, it, it's problematic. So even a fairly 
not super harmful injury to your hand or to your arm can be sort of really problematic when you're trying to work in the gym. So uh, that's really nice. I mean, we had a lot of, we seen a lot of athletes, I mean, training, they have cats, I mean, they're coming out of surgery, they just like load, they take on the harness and they take that one side out. Mm. It's like, you know, had, you know, shoulder surgery like a week ago and they're still squatting or just using the hip belt or whatever and can get some, and we had some really, some uh good success stories there i know handball uh is you know it's fairly big in europe so i guess maybe most of your listeners maybe are familiar with it but there's a lot of injuries to hands and we had this uh, icelandic player that played for a swedish elite team and he broke his scaphoid uh you know i think he was like 16 weeks it was like middle of the season season wow. so there was just 16 weeks until the sort of what's called the the championship rounds right, so right, to yeah. speak so he was basically off for that like 16 weeks of the regular season, uh, couldn't play, obviously, uh, you know, 16 weeks mm-hmm. of cast, but he hit his leg. They had a K-box, he trained a lot and he could do a lot of things there and train his leg. And then he came back, they took him out of the cast and, and uh, obviously his arm was a little bit, you know, at trainers. But in terms of physical, his coach was like, yeah, he played great. I mean, he... he <laughs> He, he was the strongest guy in that, I mean, he, he's jumping, sprinting, whatever. He was super, he could train really well. So he came back really strong and he was all, obviously he was one of their top players as well. So really good player. But uh, I mean, I think that's pretty cool to just hear yeah. that this guy's like, oh, so it's like basically, and if you don't play during the season, you don't expect to like come back to the, you know, finals and playoffs and just be, you know, great. Uh, it's like, okay, next season then uh so it was really good to hear that he could come back and be really strong and you know fit uh and that the, you know flywheel training could help in that sense uh and you know provide a really good stimulus during yeah. that time i've heard some similar stories where sort of I've, I've helped with athletes that combat athletes where they're very they've got a long haul and then they fight and then they long haul again but the power like output that they've been able to do on pads and on bags has dramatically increased by sort of just adding in this flywheel. And it, it doesn't it doesn't have to be a massive session. You can do a couple exercises and still build up that base level of power output. I'm going to put it because it is a power yeah. output. The faster it was like what you said that it's got the memory. As fast as you mm. go up, it's going mm. to come down, and you're kind of having to hold, embrace, and then do it again. Yeah. Has there been yeah. any? Sorry. Yeah, but I think there's a lot of things to do, like with microdosing. And I know, mm. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, I, I don't think, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't want to offend any other in 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 football, but uh, uh, Leicester City, I think made it a little bit, uh, at least famous, uh, probably other teams maybe did it before as well, but I know what they did and they used the K box for it is that they sort of, when they had the games away, they brought the K box and, and they also started with like training all the players after the game uh, and their successful season here a couple of years back when they won with a little bit underdog and they, they, mm. they, 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 they won. 
and people obviously look into like okay what was their recipe and then you could see like they, they used their starting players the most they had the least had the least injuries and they performed really well in for terms of physical capacity so they they could pick their best players for every game and one thing that they did that i think basically all the teams do now at least and probably maybe somebody did before as well but that made it sort of uh, you know well known uh was that they you know traveled with the k-box and used it so the players that's been on the bench maybe had a training session they brought a bike and, and they did some k-box so you if you played zero minutes you had this mm -hmm. protocol if you played half you, you had this protocol and maybe if you played all 90 minutes you did did nothing right and then everybody could rest on the you know the day after and they could all come back to practice and i think before it was quite common that you know people on the bench they had an extra session the day after the guys that played rested and then they come back and they're like sort of out of focus and i've seen when i talked to like the nhl coaches and some of the others like we did like a really busy schedule uh, nba etc they had sort of a similar approach now when they use like training to sort of bring people up to the same level even if they mm. don't play the game i think that uh, and, and in that case i think the k-box can be a really nice tool to have it's fairly you know portable you can bring it it's easy you can hit the fairly high quality reps pretty fast you don't need like tons of warm-up uh, and uh, yeah so and you can get reps that sort of count uh, and uh, all the players can go you know mm. through it it's fairly quick to cycle through so you can do it like post game for example so i think that's a really good application in terms of like load management and getting some quality stimulus in during a busy week um for sure yeah i kind of wanted to ask about the um hey pulley as well where it, it's sort of this very versatile type um sort of mock of the k k box where you can sort of do different exercises with it what applications have you seen it used for yeah the, 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 the yeah absolutely the funny story is like why we even started with why we why we did it right because yeah, as a hockey guy i was pretty happy with the k-box i can do my squats deadlifts pulls rows whatever build muscle mass and, and uh, but then we saw guys buying our we had a i think we was a, i think it was a university I, I have the picture somewhere but it's kind of funny but they were super happy they bought like three k-box pros our like wow. biggest like premium model uh and we we got a picture or i think maybe they posted it but like oh super happy we got our k-boxes and they put all of them on the wall um and we were like what did they buy these like i mean uh we're, we're still it's a fairly big investment right and and then you they screwed it to the wall um it's like you know that's not really what you're supposed to do right it's supposed to be on the floor but they wanted to do like the more you know uh, horizontal movements obviously right and um and so we saw that and, and realized like yeah we need to make a, a pulley version so but that's actually one of uh, one of the things that triggered us right now we really need to get going we had talked about it but then when we saw that like yeah we can have customers you know putting that on the wall so uh so it started with the k pulley which is a beam and i saw uh yeah device that is basically on the ground and then there's a beam and you attach that to a wall there's also the k pulley go version that is only the device that you can fit to a rack or you know fits like the most common standards like the european standard like a leco and um, also fits we have you know attachments for like rogue sarnas three by three inch etc some of these um as well 
but uh, yeah, so that's a more yeah, that you can move around. So obviously, same type of loading, you know, belt, shaft, flywheel, uh, and then uh, but more for uh, mm. more horizontal actions uh, like rotations, maybe some you know, and actually. Uh, for my own training, I actually use it quite a lot for my accessories. So whenever I, I'm in uh, training in our in our office, I actually use the cape police quite a bit, uh, like shoulders, arms, mm. back. Uh, so um, yeah, really, you know, versatile device. For... What's your favorite exercise on it? What type of exercise yeah, I do? What's your favorite exercise to do with a? Either a K box or a pulley. Yeah, I mean, I I really like overloaded rows. Okay. So on the on the K box, uh, so yeah, we didn't see that in the bit, but we have a, a, a small tool that comes with it. It's called an angle adjuster, so you can lock down the dry belt to the side to offset the angle a little bit. That allows you to sit down a little bit more, so it's all become even though you're standing on the on the K box, you're still leaning in. Mm. Uh, you can. Lean a little bit more and then you can push off with your legs uh to get some extra energy into and then absorb with your back and i think that's a really uh, that's been a really good exercise for me in both for my you know obviously a stronger back good for my deadlifts uh, and also good for good for my bench and shoulder health and uh, sometimes i tweak this with using I use ankle cuffs instead of instead of ha- having a grip to hold on to. I use an ankle cuff mm-hmm. that I just hold like a grab, and then for every time I do overload, it tries to pull it out of my hand. So I need to like close grip my grip well. like isometrically, really, uh, really strong. So I really really struggle with the grip. So it's like that's just a bonus. That's probably one of my favorites. It's really nice with eccentric overloaded like uh, triceps pushdowns as well. Mm. You know, leaning your whole body into the concentric face and pushing down almost like a crunch, and then you uh, absorb that. And and um, so different versus like how we normally do, like the tricep extension, like sets of ten, and you're like standing there in the cable cross, and like okay, yeah. one more set, one more set. You, you get tired and it's burning in the triceps. But versus getting these like maxable and overloaded. Where you can just feel that it's just want to fly up and you're trying to, to hold it down only with your triceps and you have like a your body weight and your tricep strength like coming back to hit you on the way up and you're like trying to sort of lock it down it's a really nice uh yeah i think it's really good for for strength there mm-hmm. uh, so that's probably one of my favorite exercises for both obviously the squat but uh you know but uh yeah yeah that's uh uh rdl is really nice too um i previously showed you a video of mine i quite like the split squat it's quite hard Mm -hmm. to get used to that movement but i really like single leg drives because if you can push off hard on one leg you can sort of do a lot so for me the the split squat stance is something that i like a lot and there's there's different yeah. ways you can do it as well. Like you can use the slant boards as well to sort of get more of that pushback on the posterior chain, and then you can just level out to get more of an activation on both ends. Is that something you sort of play around with as well? I don't really do it myself, and in 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 terms of like uh, 
listen, powerlifting, when it comes to strength, powerlifting is really my sport. I'm a very bilateral athlete. <laughs> so uh, all these unilateral stuff and, you know, I, I, I'm really bad at it. Um, and, uh, but I mean, if for C, for SNC in, or like team, uh, field-based sports or whatever, if you're training that type of environment, I think those are great applications and those guys are probably much more, way more athletic than I am and, and uh, with balance and everything. Right. So yeah, I think it's a really good application. I don't do them myself. And if I do, I probably have a lot of support. We right. touched upon it a little bit before the podcast, but I think that's a, uh, probably a word of caution, like if you're mm. doing that with maybe maybe even weights on the back or kettlebells or something they're holding on to, right? Loaded sort of, you know, split squats. And you like those and your athletes, you know, use know the exercise. If you just move over to K-Box, you also have that extra complexity of the flywheel that is sort of a lie, right? Depending on how much I decelerate, how much I push, mm -hmm. you know, what gets like, so not, every rep is a little bit like unique. You can't just feel a load in your hands and like, okay, this is how much I have to push. And then you do 10 reps because it's a much more timing into it. So I think it could be, so usually if you do that transition from weights and it's a little bit more complex, I'll probably scale it down the complexity and just have them maybe having like two poles or a wall or something to hold on to yeah. or a rack in front of them or a bar in a rack or something just to get the balance right, to get the push right and then sort of take it from there and build them up again so they can do it like like you yeah. did in your video i think you had no nothing to hold on to yeah that was my uh, mistake the first time i ever did it is <laughs> not have yeah. someone there to hold on to um, yeah. if yeah and i mean if it's too unbalanced you're not really building strength anyway so it, it also depends on like yeah maybe you do it to, to just do you want to challenge their balance right or yeah I, I could even see how you for example if you work as a personal trainer uh, and training somebody for fitness that you sometimes want to throw in like new things just to mm. keep them motivated or get it get, just give them a challenge to feel like oh this was really difficult i almost fell and then the challenge is like oh i want to get you know make you know be able to do this without falling and then maybe they do and feel much more stable and balanced in a couple of weeks and they feel you know better but it's not really primarily for strength in that case and that's fine if that's your purpose but i'm just thinking if you're building strength and you have that exercise maybe scale down the complexity mm. and then when they get a bit increased because you have this additional sort of flywheel that's sort of alive and it has its memory whatever that we talked about and the potential for overload as well uh, and the timing aspect of it that uh, a weight is so much easier in that sense because it's just sort of dead it's just 10 kilos is 10 kilos it doesn't matter right and uh, yeah so uh, yeah can you explain so how these metrics work with the app now when i was sort of using it and trying to get my way around it, i used the app quite rigorously to see if i was really hitting eccentrics or if i was just doing concentrics can you explain mm -hmm. how the app works in conjunction with training yeah, so we have sensors built in in basically most of our devices uh, uh, have it built in and it's an add on for like the entry level K box and for the cable go that portable one those those are add ons but for cables like them pro and Poly two uh, that we saw here before they are built in. So that's a rotational sensor that tracks the rotation of the flywheel or the shaft really and uh, sends that to our app that's connected uh, 
So we get basically angular velocity and your imp you so your input when you in the app you input what inertia you have on and basically with angular velocity and and inertia we know the energy so we know the speed and we know the inertia then we can calculate the energy and we do that like if we do that like hundreds of times per second and we know the energy we can also see like how the energy changes mm -hmm. you know from one time stamp to another and the changes in energy over a certain period of time is the power in or out yeah so that's how we know the power so we we basically we track rotation from there it's a really sort of simple i would say simple calculation to get because we don't have any variables we have the rotational speed and we have the inertia now we know the energy at any given time yeah and from there we can just we, we, if we track the time we also know like okay in okay and you increased okay power was this right and uh, so power in uh, and so power and energy is very exact and from those metrics, we also calculate more. Uh, we can, you know, calculate range of motion, velocity, etc. But there's a little bit more factors coming in, like thickness of dry belt and, you know, some other. So it's a, uh, not as exact as the, you know, power. But then we split up power. So in our app, you get average power over like rep one, average power, rep two, rep three, and over the whole set, what was your average power? But also concentric and eccentric peak power uh so that's what you can switch between in your graphs you can see like okay this was my concentric so let's say you go for uh if you go for 100 percent on the way up you sit down like you said you sat you sat down and first time you did it you sat down and then you sort of absorbed really hard at the bottom uh then you would probably see the eccentric bar be much higher than the concentric mm -hmm. bar right uh because you forced yourself to uh, uh, exert a higher power output in the eccentric phase through that time constraint. Yeah. So though, then you will see the bar. So really good for as a coach to actually, it's sometimes it's, it's difficult to see, you know, it's, it's, you can't really see, and especially for these type of delayed actions, it's, you don't really see, did they, maybe they did start decelerating a little bit early because they didn't want to, you know, mm. struggle there right so uh, and a smart athlete would probably like yeah but if i if i start a little bit earlier than the coach wants it's actually not that hard to decelerate because i start a little bit earlier and you would see that on the bars right yep. yeah your your eccentric bar is just as high as concentric bar you're not doing something is off here um no i always uh, say that like anytime i introduce a sort of like new exercise or a new method of training i always have to go through it first so I know what to expect and what to look out for with my athletes. So yeah. when I came to the K-Box, when I was at the bottom and I just absorbed it and then came back up, I was like, okay, that part was the hardest. So I know that I need to be a little bit more at tempo with the way I speak, the way I communicate during that time because they're not mm. going to want to do that. So I need to yeah. make sure I get them used to doing that because that's how we want it. Yeah. And, um, and, and usually, I mean, you can also, that that's kind of nice because you can do it a little bit gradual, right? Uh, you can start with the, have them one-to-one, -one, focus on the tempo, you know, pushing a little bit harder, adding a little bit more inertia. They work through the range of motion. They understand how it works, like the, you know, sort of the practical stuff, like mm -hmm. how to connect, you know, getting started, spin the flywheel a little bit, get a little bit of momentum, stopping, you know, changing, you know, whatever. So 
they get that going and the one-to-one. And then from there, you can say like, yeah, now you just try to sort of start accelerating, yeah, not on the top, but uh, when you come down just a little bit, right? Uh, and then you, they, you, can, you can push that. And then within a few sessions, you're basically doing quite heavy overload at the bottom. You don't have to go from here to here, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly. Like I never liked the, you know, the really things like, oh, today we're going to have an eccentric session, you know, as an eccentric load. And then everything will be crazy eccentric. Like we do the normal stuff, but we just add tons of eccentric work. Uh, I can see how you can do it much more seamless and integrate it. And maybe just do one set, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then next week you can do two sets, whatever. So much more gradual and the device really allows for that. Uh, a really fun thing we had a... They did at the University of Health and Sports Science, younger students following us like years later, now here a couple of years ago, they wanted to do a senior training. Uh, mm. They did a senior training program and they wanted to use the K-Box. We were there like in the first session just to help them get started and the students to in and out, how to sort of onboard uh, the senior people and how to spot them, et cetera. And, you know, and before that, we always helped them a little bit with exercise selection and stuff like that and inertia, and, you know, give yeah. the game a few pointers. We were in the gym and they were super healthy uh, seniors, but they had no gym experience. Uh, so we put them towards like you have the, I don't know, when you have these wooden things on the wall, you know, uh, that you have in the, the, the bars. Class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So we put the K-Box in front of there. And it's like, here's something for the, them to hold on to, feel a little bit safe. And they started to do squats and they did deadlifts or whatever. But we, we started with squats. And the students got it and they trained them. And we, you know, we, we left. And then it was pretty funny because we came back then, like, maybe end of the study was maybe like six weeks later or something and just checked up on them mm. in the like last week and then we could see all the seniors because what the what the students have been focusing was like just basically pushing the seniors to push a little bit harder right so it's like oh looks good go harder come on one more rep you know and and then you see they moving past they maybe they had a little bit of nurture and they kept pushing them and what the seniors were doing and this was not like intentional by the students but then you could see the seniors how they used the bars to really push off on the way up so they used their arms Mm -hmm. on the way up and got an overload on the way down uh, and it was pretty cool. Yes, like they build strength and they build confidence and they like they started with balance. But after a while, like, yeah, you know, they get used to it. So by themselves over like six weeks of training, they were doing, giving themselves overload. Yeah. You know, uh, and what were so the results pretty of funny. that uh, research? Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't like peer reviewed. Uh, right. So it's like uh, student projects, but it's fairly, I mean, it was, uh, they had a good supervisor and everything. So, uh, so it used really good methods, but I don't think it was published in a peer reviewed magazine, but it was, uh, I mean, the, what's really interesting to see, I mean, the power output, the increases in power output with mm. these seniors, I mean, healthy seniors, they were super active. They were, you know, walking and doing things. They weren't normally in the gym, but, uh, you know, they were active and maybe doing some sports uh and they i mean the power output was i mean just the first like the newbie gains like in the mm. first couple of sessions you could see they could exert so much power i think they basically uh i think the the power output was up like 50 percent just in a few like the first two weeks and then for the additional four weeks they were think it was up to like the double power output wow. over the whole period of time uh in like for example the squats 
from fairly low levels, of course, because they're like they were like seventy plus or you know sixty five and up. Uh, some were over over seventy, so was still pretty cool to see. And I mean, other research has shown that as well mm-hmm. that you can basically in sixteen weeks, if you take the average sixty year old and look at their strength metrics, and then you take an average eighty year old and then put them through a strength training protocol for sixteen weeks, they basically they get this sort of same power output as that average 60 year old so you can wow. basically go back in time 20 years <laughs> for 16 weeks of strength training and that's been shown in uh, in, uh, in other studies so there's a, a lot of gains to uh, get here for that that type of population like healthy seniors for sure and another cool thing was also that the roaming uh, the range of motion increased mm. probably a little bit thanks to them pushing off more and going and feeling more confident but also building strength down deep and adding more overload, being pulled down and then like pushing hard at the bottom. So they build a lot of strength down deep. So they actually increased the range of motion. The average, I think the average squat was like 10 centimeters deeper, six wow. week, you know, and that wasn't something that they pushed in the study. Like they didn't really care about the range of motion. They just squat down and push up as hard as you can and absorb on the way down. And then by pushing harder and harder, building strength and confidence and being pushed, pulled down, yeah, they just went deeper and deeper and they, they felt fine. So that's also pretty cool, like a bonus, just getting that. And that strength that we know in, for example, seniors, where the problem is like getting out mm-hmm. of a you know, bed or a sofa or a chair, that's really, I would say, like if, if, if you want to say functional strength, yeah. I would say that that's really it, right? If you're 70 plus and suddenly can, you know, much easier get out of the chair, that's functional strength. So basically, squat, so. like the, the deterioration of elderly people as well come from the inability to sort of trip and fall and bounce back because they don't have that balance to sort of keep upright. So by increasing their strength and their mobility as well, I can imagine they were able to stay healthy for longer as well. Yeah. And if we're looking at fall prevention, you know, talking about elderly, I mean, uh, I'm actually maybe because I'm getting older myself, you know, start to think about it. It's pretty cool to see. uh, And it's actually about like the eccentric power, being able to like maybe slip, lose balance and then sort Mm. of catch your balance again. That's not really, I mean, strength is a foundation, but it's really about eccentric power. And so there to train like heavy and also to like move a little bit faster and actually train power. And so um, we actually had uh, during, uh, started uh, as a gym franchise here in Stockholm during COVID when the, with the lockdowns and everything. They had a, a a senior group that were like healthy seniors came in for training and uh, they were devastated when they couldn't come in and train. So they did an exception for them. So they took these, uh, oh. I think there were like four couples or something. So they were like husband and wife, uh, four couples that came in and they took, they moved and they got K-boxes. They didn't have K-boxes before. So they got K-boxes mm-hmm. and instead of being in the gym, they went to this big, they had this big hall where they had their group sessions, like with like, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people, but they had these like four couples and they spread them out in that big hall you know, one K box per couple. So they could work out together, but with like 10, you know, 10 meters distance, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And they, they came in like once or twice a week uh, and they had the really successful training period. And 
I think you after that project, actually, one of the couples they 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 bought their K box. I think they're probably oh. one of our oldest one of our oldest uh, users. They were like seventy five or something, but they're like, yeah, we we need to keep this. <laughs> uh, so they got one for their home. So it's pretty funny, but um, yeah. So I think there, yeah, just on. I mean, in general strength training is for seniors. Uh, I think it's just yeah. uh, such of- a low hanging fruit. In terms of load, how does that equate? Like, how what's the comparison between loads and how do you load the K box? Yeah, so we load the flywheel. So we we talk about flywheel workout zones, uh, and um, so I would say uh, going back to the water. So imagine the depth, how deep you go in the water is basically the inertia you load up. So if you load up max, it's basically like up to your neck in water, Mm. right? It's still not doing any load on you until you start trying to move it. And I can still move it slowly if I don't. I mean, if you, on the Cables Pro, you can load up to six flywheels. That's really, that's a lot of inertia. Wow. And it's, uh, and so, but I can still go with like 20%, but it would move really slow, right? and pull me down really slow uh, so i'm not loading so basically it's like i mean on a bar if i load up a 300 kilo deadlift it's not like yeah i can lift it i just have to do it really slowly and it will come up eventually right it doesn't work like that i need to i need to i need to make exactly. it break the floor i need yeah. you know inertia doesn't work that way so so the inertia is more to put you in the which zone you want to work in so if you load up max inertia, then say like, oh, now you can probably go max and you would still move really slow because this is like trying to push a car that is stuck, right? Or like a, you're pushing a car and then in the eccentrics, it's basically trying to stop it like rolling downhill or something, right? It feels like it's just pulling you and whatever you're doing, it just keeps on pulling like a moving train right? mm-hmm. you're trying to stop it. So six flywheels that are started spinning, right? And you absorb it on the way down. So that's more put you right really close to that isometric max or like really you know in on the force velocity curve really close to like basically velocity zero max strength zone and then by removing inertia you you will change zones and that's uh we talked about so it doesn't really you know it doesn't really matter that much if it's like you know super heavy or only or super super heavy you would both be slow right mm. and then it's your input into device so makes it both easier but also a little bit more complicated because we also have this it uh, it becomes a little bit more important also how much you push uh, uh, yeah so the intensity combined with the inertia yeah what's the the sort of easiest way to progress your load in certain movements with the flywheel yeah, I would use the app and I would start uh, finding a comfortable zone, like what I feel, uh, you know, you can video yourself and see like, is the movement speed? Is it too fast? You can use the app to see, you get the average speed so you can get some sort of velocity-based metrics or you moving like, oh, I'm doing max strength. And then you see like, oh, I'm moving one meter per second. Like, oh, you probably need to add more inertia because that's a little bit too fast. Mm. Um, and then you can also see that, like, okay, now I'm moving faster, I'm producing more power. So maybe add inertia, you know, from there, if you see, uh, if, when you're doing like a strength block, right, over six weeks, you might say, oh, I'm moving faster, add a little bit more inertia. 
And then after that, for example, coming into a power block, I probably like drop inertia and then go for maximal speed and then try to push that and find where is my peak power max mm. and, and finding that and dropping down. And uh, yeah, so so that's like fairly, you know, the pointers. So it's not like I can say like, oh, everybody needs this or if you can squat this, you need this because it's also you can see people that are maybe equally strong under a bar and one is sort of more faster explosive mm. on the K box, but he's maybe probably also maybe a better jumper or, you know, more elastic. So, uh, like you can see also with weights, yes, because people squat the same weight in the back squat, they can still have different jump height, right? Because they have different, uh, you know, eccentric capabilities, whatever. So it's also, so in that sense, I think, K-Box can also show you a little bit more about their performance because when you say like, oh, I want you to go down here, hit the brakes, you know, in the eccentric phase and then just rebound up and use that. And and and, and if that athlete doesn't have that capabilities, mm. he's, he will just be pulled down and let's be a little bit soft and he's being sort of crushed under the K-Box a little bit and then he will barely get up and then maybe he will get a little bit speed when it's out of the hole and in the end range maybe. You know, while the, some other guys you will see by hit the brakes and, and they explode up from the hole and they probably like look different when they're moving and jumping and sprinting mm. as well. Right. But they could still maybe squat 200 kilos and look fairly similar. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing is no athlete is ever the same. They could put out the exact same metrics, but they'll be doing it differently as well, which is yeah. the hardest thing about coaching. But at the same time, it kind of makes it fun because you're, yeah. you're sort of being challenged on your coaching ability to to cater to these factors it's like if you take younger athletes maybe like 13 14 15 and you you test the jump height and you bring them up and do a drop jump you don't usually don't have to bring them up that high to mm. realize like you they don't really they don't jump higher because you move them up higher because they can't use that eccentric force coming down but if you take them back maybe one or two years later they're still in their sport you could probably you know benefit from and increasing that drop height a little bit more because now they're more capable to be actually use that drop to sort of jump higher so it's about maturity and control and nervousness mm -hmm. is more than like yeah how much can i squat it's also like yeah but these other things and uh, sort of transition of, of, of yeah. power and the, and the movement right so in that thing in that aspect i think also flyweight can be really helpful because you have that dynamic in the, in the machine so the, you you have that control aspect and timing and that I think they can be really beneficial for them. Actually learning how to absorb and brace and, you know, and not only like just moving weight up and down and doing sets and reps. Uh, I think it's uh, the best like way I can think about it is it's controllable movement. It's like it's your way of applying these factors and these sort of inertias and different metrics and sort of just being able to control it in an efficient movement way as well, which I think is the hardest thing about the flywheel because it doesn't care if you're the best athlete, athlete out there. It's completely down regardless. Yeah. Um, when it comes to sort of the development of the K-Box, how, how was that process and how did you sort of apply these different methods? Uh, you mean how we developed, uh, you know, from product development perspective? Yeah. I mean, um, 
I mean, you have to come and check our museum. It's pretty fun when you look back at the first K boxes. It's like, uh, I mean, I probably, uh, I guess most of the coaches you've been coaching for like 10 years or 15 years and go back and see yourself or like find an old notebook, what you did with your athletes the first one or two years. It's like, oh shit, did I really do that to my poor athletes? Uh, wasn't That's like, it. yeah, I mean, <laughs> we do, we, we learn along their way. Right. And, and looking back, we're like, oh, that wasn't too smart. Anyway, so I mean, the first K box is it's it's pretty cool. We see a lot of like these early generations still going strong. Actually, I have a few customers who usually post there there, but uh, but um, yeah, I mean, it's only I mean, we're we've always been very close. We started, I mean, coming from a little bit of like sports and and performance mindset ourselves when we started, and now over the years we we branched out more and we have more people employed. So we also like look more into the rehab side and even the fitness side and home user side so but uh i think uh, the coaches in that aspect and the athletes has been very helpful to us mm. and having that relationship that we are sort of coaches to start developing our products and talk to coaches and get their feedback has been fairly easy for us to make that connection and we understand what you're going through like yeah we need to do this we need to be able to do this or have this many athletes or whatever so like just improving and i think I think apply sort of the like in any not in any sport. It's not like any coach can go in and do and something magically take mm. this like losing team and make it a winning team overnight, right? It's a it's like you identify weaknesses and you see what's what the strengths are. You try to improve those weaknesses like day by day, week over week, and then gradually you become like a better team and or a better athlete. And that's, I think, what we applied to the K-Box as well, like seeing like, oh, small improvements mm. here, and, here and there. I know we counted, for example, we when we hired our first engineer, she um, she had to do, you know, she we we did a lot of changes to the K-Box after she started. Um, so I, I remember talking to her about that, maybe when she's been working for like two and a half, three years. I'm like, do you know how many changes you actually had done to the K-Box since you started? She's like, yes, I lost count at like 200, you know, <laughs> because that's within like the K-Box four generation. So still like, and it could be super small things like let's move this whole, you know, one millimeter here. So it's like actually easier to put, get the screw in for the mm. guys in production. Or if you make this a little bit stronger here, so it doesn't, you know, break as fast or whatever, you know, that we see. And I think also that's a strange for because we've been doing this since, you know, we've been doing flywheels in year 2000. We know how it, you know, works and how it feels. So I think it's, I think it's appreciated by coaches talking to us because we've been, you know, dealing with this sort of feeling or tool ourselves for 23 mm. years or you know, pushing for 24 years. And so they're able to communicate with us, but also in terms of having product out on the market for so many years, we we capture a lot of sort of data over time to see what actually wears down faster, what what needs to be improved and, and to improve right. that product. But I would say that's uh you know, when we talk to the marketing department, they always want these big things like, oh, for this next generation, we bought these like new big splashes, what's new. And like, it's it's fun to put in like a new, like a new feature or a, like a really big improvement that people notice. But I, I would say that most of it is like the daily grind, just improving small things here and there, like over time, every day, week by week. And uh, yeah. And I think that like... talks about the durability of it as well, though. It's like, because you aren't, 
just wanting to push for the biggest, flashiest thing. You're actually working on these, which was actually very nice to hear. Is like you're pushing things by millimeters just to stop the wear and tear or just mm-hmm. extending the longevity of it. What's what's been one of the the smallest changes that you've you've made that's made the biggest difference? Oh, uh, uh, I, I don't know really. Yeah, I know one super small, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, they, do you know they're stackable? Are they? You know, yeah, the, the devices are stackable, so you can stack them on top of each other, right? Yeah. So they don't take up space. And, and we also stack them in our factory. And, uh, and then we stack them upside down because, uh, yeah, for practical reasons. Uh, so they're stacked upside down when we have them in our factory before we, we ship them. And, and then we were like a little bit frustrated because they, they actually, the dry belt goes over when it's assembled and the dry belt is going around and it actually, uh, you know, it adds a couple of millimeters on one side because the dry belt goes mm-hmm. out on that one side. So, and then you stack like 10 or 15 on these on top of each other. And then they actually, the whole pile yeah, starts so. tilting a little bit. And that was a uh, we so that's sort of set the limit how much how high we could stack them, and it was super funny because we had a guy coming in. Uh, he he came in to do he, he he was maybe coming in to do a little bit extra work. So he was just having a tour to see like oh this is where you will work and you know, and he was still you know back in school so he was like seventeen or eighteen so looking for him extra work. And he saw one of these piles and like, yeah, where's he's leaning? I'm like, yeah, I actually don't know. And he's like, oh, it's because of the dry belt goes on this side, whatever. It's like, but if you just made a little bit of a, a hole here in that part where it's, you know, where it passes, they would be straight. It's like, yeah. So talk to the engineer. They added wow. that hole the week after we had that hole. And since then, the piles have been super straight. So <laughs> that's not the cost, something the customers will notice. But we've been seeing those pies, you know leaning you know for months and then this kid comes in and like yeah you should just make a little bit of a dent here for the belt to pass through I'm like oh good we didn't think of that so um yeah i can't really come up with uh, anything like the, the small but that's a super yeah. small change that at least had a big you know big dif- uh, made a, a big difference for us at least um, I think it's quite nice that you're sort of listening to your employees as well and sort of like making these little tweaks to make their lives better as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I, I think I, I I see the whole company as basically one of my hockey teams or like any teams. I'm a team sport guy. That's how I sort of was raised playing team sports. I, I've done a lot of team sports and being coached. So for me, it's like, yeah, we, we win together, we lose together. And I mean, we need to find And Sometimes we're struggling against an opponent and, and somebody is like, yeah, but you need to, the goalie sucks. He needs to do this or the defenders need to do this or the force, but we need to agree and we need to find, or sometimes you find a key like, oh, actually the goalie sucks on, you know, you know, shots, low shots. You should do low shots on this guy because I saw that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then sort of spreads in the mm. team and we find we find his weakness, like somebody finds his weakness and spreads, you know. That's how you interact in a team. You find these weak spots or, you know, on one side or or, or they we realize something they, they, they can't handle or what's work, what works. So 
And I, I think in a company, it wouldn't make sense to do it any other way. I mean, we, we have, you know, sometimes we have these big staff meetings and suddenly like, a, you know, an intern could be like, yeah, but shouldn't we do it like this instead? I'm like, yeah, good idea. <laughs> you know, whatever. I mean, if that's the best idea, then it's the best idea. We don't really care. And uh, if it's, you know, so I, I think that's the at, that's at least how we run our mm-hmm. business, like a big like team sport, like a team, and we're winning together or we're like losing together. Yeah, no, I really like that because yeah. it it builds that community as well within the workplace. Everyone's sort of out there helping each other as opposed to like fighting each other as well. Yeah. What's one? Mis- no- Sorry. No, I was saying, and it's also like, yeah, I see how people grow. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you have athletes on your team and they will have individual weaknesses, right? And they need to have accountability for like, oh, maybe one is not as strong. They need to identify that and work with that, you know, and somebody else has maybe super nervous and they have maybe a more of a psychological challenge that is their main thing, holding them back for performance, etc. They need to be able to see that and work with that instead of shy away from mm. that or just showing their strength, right? So that's how they grow and uh, uh so i think in in terms of that relationship towards individuals as well i think it's like they it, it's more of a coaching aspect for me than really being like the boss or something and i i think that i see also now we, we're quite many not everybody obviously reports directly to me so I have, you know, people reporting to me that have people reporting to them and I, I, I encourage them to do the same way to sort of having a little bit of mix, being close sometimes mm-hmm. when something is new and they onboard somebody, be really close so they feel safe, you know, and then let them go, give them a little bit more leeway, check in, and then after a while, maybe give them, you know, bigger tasks, more open-ended tasks that they can sort of think about and be creative, you know, whatever. So they, they need to balance that, you know, so mm-hmm. we don't leave people like hanging completely lost and, and and insecure and not too tight sort of strangling them holding them back and and having that sort of and it's task-based right so you can be super confident in the strength training session and then you feel super super lost when we do something else right it's not like man is always super confident right or frederick is always super nervous right because there will be depending mm. on what we're doing that practice right uh so it's task-based as well like and uh yeah so and the coach need to see that okay today we're doing this so i see frederick is already nervous you know or whatever so you need to treat me differently maybe yeah, yeah. and i can be super confident in the gym 100 yeah. percent. in terms of the the business and how it's been so far what's one mistake that has happened and how did you deal with it mistake in the business yeah and how did you sort of deal with it or what was the lesson learned from it yeah i think there's um always when people come in like new i mean i we sometimes in recruitments uh i think sometimes you have this feeling quite early on that it's not really working out and um Maybe that's a Swedish thing as well, but you're like, uh, we're not maybe the best of being always like super, you know, outspoken and maybe a little bit tough that would be needed, whatever, because it's like, yeah, they will figure it out. And you you sort of beat around the bush a little bit and hope that things will figure out. And that's something I learned along the way, like, 
you you need mm. to be like super clear and you need to take that head on if because you want to ultimately give them a chance to sort of fit and do the right thing right and uh, at least i think that's a pretty common thing uh in uh, at least in sweden i think uh, and i mean the labor laws here is like basically when you're full-time employed it's pretty the labor laws are pretty strong in the favor of the employee right so they they it's it's it, you can't just fire people basically mm. so but there's a something called i don't know um, you have like the first six months is like a like probation period. period yeah and what i think people when you don't do that and if you're not active from the start and you beat around the bush a lot of people end up like and they realize thing oh shit the the this employee have been here for almost six months he's not really performing we have to let him go because if we go over this time it's going to be super tricky because then they are like you know employed and i ended up there sort of myself uh in the beginning uh, and sometimes it could be about culture and mindset and maybe social things and, and sometimes more about the sort of work skills but that's that's mistakes i i i i feel that i at least see a bit earlier and try mm. to be more active about talking and following up and like showing you know what demands do we have and what they can improve etc um, because ultimately you want to give them a chance and also sometimes you have to cut people loose and uh you know seeing after like this is never going to work i'm sorry but you I mean you can probably do something really good but we're not the right company you're not the right person sorry but it's like no hard feelings and, and i think that has actually been good to be able to say instead of shying away yeah. from it because not that's not really a solution right and uh i think after doing that mistake a couple of times you realize like yeah it's not helping me it's not helping that person you know so they can you know uh, in terms of like the business thing uh and I, and I guess like how you, you mean, maybe something, how you could deal with relationships or whatever, like if you're an employee as well, like, uh, you know, being, you know, clear and outspoken and, you know, so it's like, uh, instead of just thinking mm -hmm. things will sort themselves out, sort of. Just being involved in the process. Yeah. yeah, I think that's at least a learning I've done or a mistake or whatever. That I yeah. think it's and hopefully a bit better now. In terms of like the company, where or what are you working on for the future? Uh, you mean on the product level or like a more company level? Uh, product level. Uh, so we just... Um, yeah, marketing gonna have tar and feathers if I you know say too much, right? <laughs> uh, they they want to keep everything as a surprise, but uh, no. But we I mean we we just launched this like generation five of the K box. I'm I'm super happy about it with the improvements in, in the design and and some of the features, and uh, and we've also been able to like to push the price point as well. So that's pretty, uh, yeah pretty you know fun to see i mean we actually didn't increase our prices for our k-box since we started so like you have 11 years of inflation that we never increased our prices for so it's actually a k-box just by that and mm -hmm. now with this new generation we um you get like more bang for the buck because we made the smaller ones a little bit bigger etc so i'm super happy about that but now we're looking into the k pulley and see if that could be maybe a generation shift there as well uh, and then we have a pretty cool project together with actually a rack and barbell and weight. Wow. Uh, 
manufacturer in the US. We worked a little bit with them before uh, on a joint project, but now we're doing a, a bigger joint project together. I think will be pretty interesting to see. I hope we can launch it uh, early in 2024. Wow, uh, we're waiting might. for some. Pro yeah, we're waiting for some prototypes right now. So we'll see. We'll do some testing and we'll send it over to them, and then we'll, they will do some testing. So we'll see. So that, that's a that's a fun project. That I think will be pretty interesting for a lot of people in like SNC world, mm. especially with this working with like the bigger, stronger male athletes, like American football, maybe rugby, you know, uh, bigger, stronger athletes. So I think that could be a cool product. Um, yeah. And I think also like in 2024, there will be a lot of things on the app side as well. Right. Uh, so we're laying like the foundation right now. So uh, uh, the tech team is probably a little bit invisible right now, but they they're uh, uh, they're busy for sure. But it's sort of uh, uh, we're rebuilding a foundation and, and sort of the back end of the app, and then in the next year we can capitalize on that. So hopefully, there will be some really cool features coming out yeah. as well. How do you sort of sell these next ideas? How we sell? So, how we... so how do you like get together and come up with these next advances for the the product? Yeah, I mean we we do get a lot of customer feedback, of course, and and I mean, yeah. So I think we have a fairly. I think you have to have a. I think you have to have like a multi-channel approach, or what to mm. say. So, for example, I mean some things. I don't think sometimes you say like, oh, listen to the customer, right? That's a hundred percent. I think, yeah, that's probably good. Like if they have good opinions, but there's also, I mean, some of the worst ideas we also heard comes from customers or people that are like potential customers. Uh, so I think you need to be founded in what using the product, understanding the product yourself and seeing what what I feel, what's nagging me about, what mm. what I want to improve. I use it and feel like, oh, this should actually be better. I want this to be more robust or stronger. I want a different feeling. I want this feeling, like and you know, and and uh, and or or look at like the science. If we see a paper that says like this and this, and then like okay, let's design so we can use this that we actually know from the study to you know, mm. like for example, we. Uh, yeah, yeah. For example, when we people ask why we did a seated uh, uh, leg curl, for example, that was based on a study that showed you know fifty percent more hypertrophy in a seated versus prone uh, hamstring flexion. So that was one of the reasons why we uh, went with uh, seated. Anyway, so so I think there's like you have to have something you know coming from the inside, from the team, from yourself, from using it, like being experts in your product. But then, of course, also listen to feedback. You, I mean, it could be athletes that are very different from ours. Like the NBA players are very different from any, you know, from, I mean, I, I'm not that super tall myself. And, you know, even, you know, the tallest guy in the office is like far from, you know, tall enough for matching an NBA player, right? So obviously they, they, they will, you know, see things or experience things that uh, we need to accommodate for. So, uh, so... I would say to be a little bit like so grounded in mm. yourself and, and believe in your own ideas. And 
and also you know, like knowledge is built like knowledge is a little bit like um layers like you're adding a layer like so when you when you know a subject well enough you can start like you can't really contribute in a field before you know it right you need to come up to a certain level of knowledge and then you can start contributing maybe finding new things mm. right and 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 i think we need to be that like on top and that's why we also see things that could be better that maybe you know a customer won't see because you know, they're, they have to build, you know, more experience and use the product a little bit more. Uh, um, so I, I think you, you can't put it on the customers, mm -hmm. so to speak. They can take uh, little gems from them. Yeah, exactly. But, and then, then there will yeah come good things as well that we didn't think of, of course. And I think it's, it's the best product test as, uh, as well, because people also, I mean, one classical thing is like, uh, we think about like, oh, this is how the device is supposed to be used. And we start selling it and then people use it way different from what we thought. Maybe they stand the wrong way or they, you know, they do things like wrong, mm -hmm. but it's like, yeah, but they could, right? So then we need to either like teach them how to do it right. Maybe put it in a manual or an introduction video, because maybe it's not, it's obvious to us, maybe to me, because I designed yeah. it, but it's not super obvious to, if you just see a K box, right? So, or maybe me more intuitive or in the manual or in a video, or maybe even make it sort of stronger or more robust. You can actually do it in the wrong way and still works, or I mean, it doesn't break or whatever, but that's also something I think we learned along the way when you have this, like, this is how it's supposed to be used. And then you design for that. And then it's like, yeah, but people don't read manuals mm. or, you know, uh, so it needs to be, uh, you know, explained in a better way. I think that yeah, exactly. I think that goes back to the the university that you were talking about, and they put it on the wall, and then you came up with yeah. the the cape pulley. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, yeah, and I mean, we have tons. Of, I mean, we we get a lot of good ideas from customers as well. Uh, so, but also these classical things. I mean, you can see comments of people. It's like. I mean, the thing I've heard like a, probably a hundred times is people like, yeah, you should put a generator on the shaft and generate energy. So when you're spinning, you're, you're working this generator and then you can power like the K meter where you can charge your phone or whatever. It's like, yeah, but that would destroy the whole concept, mm. right? Because if I put a generator on the shaft, that will take energy. So that will to take your energy out of the flywheel, you will get less eccentric load. So that will sort of defeat the whole purpose of having a flywheel device. It's, uh, it's like from a way to go into a Smith machine where you add friction, you know, and, and then you lose, uh, you lose that eccentric concentric mm. to eccentric ratio. So it's not efficient training. I can see where they're coming from, but you know, and, but then they don't understand the flywheel and the constant, they just see something is spinning and think like, oh, great. That could generate energy. Uh, so maybe it's not super serious suggestion, but still like knowing the concept, you see like, oh, but that's not, that's not something we can do because that would defeat the purpose. Yeah. And also there's so little energy in strength training. People don't realize that, but you I mean, we did some calculations. So you, you can have a hard time even you know powering a led lamp with strength training because like yeah it's powerful and it's intense but for very short periods of time so in terms of total energy is very low so if you want to power something you would probably do much better with you know a bike mm. or a row or something 
where you don't really have the eccentrics anyway. So you could just power against this generator and you can power your house or whatever in terms of watts and energy and joules, whatever, uh, over time. A cardio setting would be much more yeah. you know, better for you. Because it's and, that and continuous thing about it as well, yeah. Yeah, ten sets. Of, yeah, I mean, ten reps of squats doesn't matter if you're <laughs> squatting three hundred kilos. That's not going to power a lot of. I mean, it's not like it's going to power your oven, you know, for cooking dinner or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's quite interesting that someone's thought about <laughs> saving <Yeah>. energy. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. Perfect. Um, thank you so much for giving up uh, your Sunday. I know this is your alone time, so I do apologize for that. Um, is there, how could people contact you or see what you're up to? Yeah. I mean, if you want to email, it's like Frederick, uh, and, and that's probably not a, uh, yeah, yeah. Usually with the, in, in, in UK or everybody want to spell my name with C or whatever, but this is this Swedish spelling Frederick with a K at the end, Frederick, R I K at eccentric.com, uh, or maybe yeah, you can find me on X or uh, Instagram. I'm probably most active on Instagram. That's basically, I use Instagram mainly for my powerlifting. Um, um, but that's at Frederick Korea. So I use my name everywhere. So you're probably easy to find Frederick Korea. Uh, yeah, exactly. Strong powerlifter as well. And still doing it. <laughs> yeah decent we'll see <laughs> decent yeah. um you've got competitions coming up soon as well don't you sorry next competition yeah 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 i just did nationals here or like uh, master nationals was like two weeks ago and uh so and i won so now you know again qualified for national team so we use nationals to qualify so I've been on the national team here for quite some years now. So next up is um, European Championships nice. in February. February. So uh, yeah. So How are you like, feeling uh, for that? I mean, it felt awesome. I mean, this year has been my best year so far, and especially this uh, last six months. Uh, there's a few things in training that I really, you know, figure out some stuff, and I've also been. Um, I'm adding a little bit more details. I've been a little bit sloppy around some of the details around my training. Mm. I Before I was really focused like on the program. So I just did what the coach said. And if I managed to do what the coach said, then, then I'm fine, right? So I don't really like, maybe I slept too little. Maybe I didn't eat that super mm. well. I didn't maybe warm up, uh, maybe skipped a little bit of accessories, etc. So it's like, yeah, but I, I made a program. I sort of did my... I made a test, right? I got, you know, so, um, and I changed that mindset a little bit uh, over the last couple of years. And I think this year's, this year also taking much more, you know, being better at like getting my sleep, for example, mm. and felt a big, so coming into now working a lot about not, not on my sort of nutrition to sort of tweak that a little bit and also um, get my accessory work a little bit more up to point because it's been a little bit on the side. I've been mm -hmm. focusing very much on the main lift. So uh, I think training has been going really well and I have the, the, done a few technique changes this year. So if I continue with a little bit more sleep and a little bit better, you know, starting to uh, cooking a little bit more, etc. So yeah, we'll see. I, I feel positive I can do uh, uh, quite a bit more. Nice. So. I love that. 
Because <laughs> like, I've followed you for a while and I see that you're constantly pushing it and I love it. I do love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have to thank my club. I mean, we have the best club. I mean, so, I mean, when you train together, you have that environment with people on like all, all levels from beginners mm. to like people on national teams. What's the club and, called? Uh, it's a Tabby AK, which athletic club in Sweden, so AK athletic club or, you know, uh, so powerlifting basically, uh, uh it's called Tabby. Uh, I think you find it on T A B Y A K. Can you find it? No, no. Ah, um, but I think it's like a really good environment to, yeah. I think that is yeah, important. We really... So we coming from S and C that one of the biggest things that we as coaches try and work on is the culture that we have in the gym. So like for me, as soon as athletes start coming in, everyone gets a fist bump. I ask them, how was your day? What have you been up to? Just like some basic knowledge, like, mm. Did you sleep well? Did you eat well? Have you drunk water? Just normal questions, but it sort of builds that thing where as soon as they come in, they know I'm I'm going to be ready for them. And we we always talk and have a laugh during the session as well, which I think is what you're alluding to is having that community sense within the club. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it also creates an accountability because they're kind of like, oh, people know I'm starting a, like a peaking block or whatever, and I know the people are trained with like, oh, you have maybe your nationals coming up or world championship coming up or, you know, and I know what they've been doing. So if they're like lagging behind, mm. they like, yeah, but you usually do much more than that. Or, and also, I mean, people like, for example, I have this goal of pulling 300 kilos deadlift and everybody in the gym knows that. And uh, so when they see I'm starting getting close and you know, peaking, people like, okay, so I know you did 295 last week, so are you pulling for 300 today? And I can't really like, yeah, I mean, you have that commitment. And knowing that, that people would expect me to, yeah, if you pull 295 this Wednesday, mm. you're probably going really close to 300 next week, right? People will expect that because that's how the peaking block looks like and they know what I did. And that helps me like, oh, I need to get my sleep in. I need to eat mm. you know, good over the week. And I can't like, you know, just crash over the weekend because then next Wednesday session, I can come down wrecked and, and put on 290. People are like, what happened? Right. So I think that builds a, a accountability and you have your, you know, and also support when it's not going well. Right. Uh, I had a friend now, she had a worst, she had a really bad peaking. She did the Euros now and she mm. had a really bad peak with pain and injuries whatever so that was a lot like to help her push her through and they say like it's not that i know it feels bad because you expected more than like you expected a better peak than your last big competition but you are actually doing quite okay but maybe it's not as good as you've done before but you're still doing really well you know and you know on comp day we know that she's always super strong on comp day she always like you know do does her best like like so then it becomes like supporting her, you know, uh, et cetera. So, but, uh, yeah, so that's what I like actually. So I think that's actually the charm for me mm -hmm. with powerlifting. You're like one big group that you're, you're training together. 
you know, from 14 to our oldest athlete is like 74. Wow. And she's competed for like 40 years. She's world records, whatever. I mean, she's been competing forever. And uh, down to like 14, 15, you know, girls, boys, you know, guys. And it's like the mix. And, you know, some are, you know, good overall. Mm -hmm. Some are crazy lifts but they suck on bench you know we all have our you know strengths and weaknesses we train together you know so so it's it's like a big team but it's still an individual sport yeah, yeah. I, I can train whenever i want if if somebody wants to you know train six days a week they train six days a week nobody's stopping them right and if they want to quit nobody's stopping them you you come there by free will so i, I think that's a, a nice environment i think i i mean that's what attracted me at least uh the powerlifting is a, and it's a fairly nice community as well. Mm. Uh, powerlifting tends to be. I've been to a couple of powerlifting gyms, and everyone's sort of in this consensus where everyone's just helping each other push or move in. Everyone yeah. to, to keep climbing. Yeah, super friendly. And I reached out to some really high level lifters when I see something they've done. I have questions about their training or their doing, or I see they maybe they switch technique or something. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So maybe that guy is built maybe similar to me or had a, had a similar squat technique. And I see he's changed or something. Maybe I reach out. And people are really good at like explaining mm. and, and helping out over DMs, whatever. It's like this random guy from Sweden, you know uh reaches out to maybe a world champion whatever and you know so uh, i think it's a i think it's a it's a pretty nice community and helpful community in that sense uh, and we also need our competitors so like yeah we like to win but also without competitors so it's like uh i know some of my you know fiercest competitors that i meet i have a norwegian guy for example he always beat he always beats me so you know, by you know, five, <laughs> 10 kilos, whatever. So I'm chasing him, but still we talk all the time. We DM back and forth and like, see, he's doing well, I'm mm. doing well, whatever. So as soon as I post something, I know he's in my DMs like five seconds later, like, oh, that's a crazy pull, like blah, 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 you know? So we're supporting and helping, you know, each other and, you know, giving tips and ask about equipment, you know, okay, I saw that you have these new shoes, are they good? Mm. You know, I'm looking for, you know, whatever. So we have, you know, so I think it's a kind of a nice sort of thing where you're competing, but you're still friends. Uh, and I see that across the sport, I would say very, don't see that many that like, you know, beefs and stuff in the sport, even though you know that these guys are going to, it's about these two guys that gonna you know, clash about the world championship, and mm -hmm. they still maybe you know train together or you know uh, hang time, out yeah. even you know yeah. So it's just, it's a uh, I, I like that about the sport. Um, quick question. Yeah. Speaking on ages, what's the sort of youngest you'd recommend using a uh, K box? Oh, good question. I actually discussed that yesterday. We had a course in our in-house uh, Friday with 20 physios and that question came up. So I would say like in terms of, I wouldn't say so, uh, what I said to them is like, I don't really see a lower limit to use a K box because it's user controlled and you, you set the intensity yourself and you can't really load more than you. I mean, how much can you put into mm -hmm. the flywheel? A, a weak person can't get a crazy load because they won't be able to accelerate that much, right? So it's like their own energy that they're absorbing. So, and I, I know my own kids that basically grew up with flywheel, mm. uh, you know, they, they, they saw a flywheel before they saw a weight, you know, 
and I had one of my my oldest daughter when she was like four or something, four or five. I uh, I got annoyed with somebody like complaining about it. Flywheel was so complicated, blah blah blah. So uh, I just recorded a video with her, like, okay, can you please explain to me now how uh, how you can do a deadlift or high pull and show how the device works? And she's like four years old, explain like, oh, you put on flywheel here and then you set the the length and then you start, you know, spinning the flywheel, whatever. And she could do a little bit of high pulls and, you know, did a good like intro video. So anyway, but uh, so I'm thinking there's not really, and I think there's a, there's, I mean, I, I don't think we should be afraid to do a little bit of strength training with younger kids, you know, I agree. but I would say like, but do you need to go and buy a key box to do yeah. it? If you're eight, if you're nine, if you're 10, let's say you coach a soccer team or hockey team or rugby team, I would say, no, you probably have better things to buy or use some money for, you know, and you, you can do fine with body weight and, and whatever. But I think if you come across a K box, yeah, of course they can use it. I mean, uh, even if you're like 11 or 12, do something simple, do a little bit of rows, do a little bit of high pulls, whatever. It doesn't have to be complicated. And like I said, I, I think the learning, like we talked about the dynamics of the movement, that it's a little bit more alive. There's a control aspect that it that you don't really get with weight. So I can also see like in terms of like an education mm -hmm. for an athlete to be exposed to that is good. Uh, so, uh, but uh, I mean, definitely from like serious athletes, uh, they're training, uh, you know, fairly focused for sports. When they come up 14, mm -hmm. 15, for sure, they can use the K-Box. I, mean, I always use this uh, example. Um, so I've, I've been asked a couple of times, how old do you think an athlete should be before they start weight training? And I always have this one thing is like, how, how often does your kid jump? How often does your kid climb a tree? That's all load based that they're loading their hands and their forearms and their muscles to lift themselves up. How often are they jumping? That's impact. You're always exploding up and then you're coming down. You're using both eccentric and concentric movements. So I, I, again, I wouldn't load an athlete at five years old, but I can teach them basic movements and then yeah, I, can, exactly. I can progress. So I was kind of intrigued when you said my daughter that was four or five years old was able to do a high pull because that kids should be, they're already lifting. Like when they come out the womb, they're trying to figure out their neck. They're using those neck exercises. Yeah. They're, they're, it's load. Everything is load. Yeah. 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 But people also need to understand that with the flywheel, that the load comes from the user itself, mm -hmm. right? Uh, is that your biggest, I've seen, uh, is that your biggest sort of, feud with people when they use the k-box or sort of review the k-box is they don't know that it's mostly user load yeah exactly and then i think they can you know some things can you know if you apply the sort of gravitational thinking you can end up in the wrong place when if you look at flywheel i've seen for example 
you know, guys doing sort of yeah for some curls on the mm. K box, for example. There are always tons of comments. I know a physio did that. He he uses he has a K box at home. He has a fairly good following here in Sweden. He did yeah for some curls, and the comments they went nuts. Like oh, you can't put all that load because you know he pulled really hard at the end uh, of the motion and then absorbs most of it at the top when it's fairly straight. But then he keeps a little bit of energy in the flywheel to pull him down into a deep position. But it, but did you see that intense? final pull and then him going all the way down it's like oh sh-. they looked at him like he was pulling like 200 kilos like yeah but he's loading the top part and he's like stretching in the bottom part and he doesn't have the same load because he's absorbing most mm. at the top and then he's just like so he's basically body weight at the bottom and then he's going up slowly and then he pulls harder you know so he's working you know he has a heavy load at the top but the low at the bottom, but people don't understand that. They just think he's going, they just see something intense and, you know, extreme in terms of like, you know, uh, in motion. If you think, oh, that must be crazy dangerous for your back. It's like, no, it's not. And, but people don't get it if you don't try it. But um, yeah, so I, I guess that's uh, pretty common. Uh, and it's difficult to explain as well. I mean, people need to try it. And uh most people getting up on the K-Box, even if you give them an introduction, first time they test it, they're like, okay, now I get it. Mm. You know, uh, it's not that they're not smart or not listening or whatever. And then it's, 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 it is a different feeling. Uh, and you get that after a couple of reps. So, yeah, no, perfect. Thank you so much for coming on and letting me pick your brain. Oh, on thank this. you. Oh, Thank you. And uh, yeah, so there's plenty of, to talk, uh, more to talk about. Yeah, so. I was actually going to say when the new releases come, if you want to come back on and sort of talk about them and sort of explain your way through them, I would love to have you back on. Yeah, I mean, sure, we can talk. I mean, uh, there's a, a lot of cool, I think we talked a little bit about successful sport examples. And I think that I, you know, have a, uh, there's a, really cool implementations that I've seen customers doing like in terms of like the sport specific stuff mm. that is pretty cool uh and also like the metabolic training uh i think flywheel training can be really good to, for that we didn't really touch upon that today i mean i think pep is also like yeah or pape is oh, really yeah. interesting uh exactly um uh, it's uh some really good applications there that we see as uh, some of our coaches and athletes do etc so uh, I'm happy to talk about training if somebody wants to listen. So. Yeah, no, I'll I'll love to have you back on. I know that you might be pushed for time today, or I'll keep you in for another mm-hmm. hour just talking about training. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm happy to jump on another time for sure. And I'm really interested to hear about what you've got coming up as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. See you this spring, though. Perfect. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Peace.